Hello, you are listening to the Omnitalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, SPS Commerce, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the Omnitalk Fast Five is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but more importantly, a little happier each week too. Today is June 29th, 2023. I'm your host, Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss the most important headlines of the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Chris, that kind of sounds like the uh, the LinkedIn Live event that we just had about digitizing the physical store with uh, with the multitude of guests from Reva Group, from Trigo, from SAP, from Accenture. It was a great event this week. Yeah, it was. We had a thousand people register for it. We're probably going to talk about it later on the show too. We've got oh, yeah. the, we got the Microsoft event later today, and uh, know. you know, 2,200 people registered for that. You know, it's insane, man. It's insane. I, I I can't believe it's June 29th already. And when you read that, when you did that read, I was like, oh my god. But yeah, uh, yeah but I'm out in Chicago too at the Path to Purchase Retail Media Summit as well. So. I'm going remote, so apologies in advance to anyone with the sound as we try oh, to get we the can tell. hotel we Wi-Fi can tell you're working. Remote. Yeah. Um, yeah. How's I, Chicago this time of year? I'm dressed think? up too, and that's another reason you can tell. For those watching on video, I've got my stylish Barracuda jacket on, and I don't know if it's a Barracuda. No, it's a bomber jacket, not a Barracuda jacket. What am I saying? I have no idea what a Barracuda jacket. I got that my Jordan like, kicks on. It I'm, seems I'm like doing the it. Barracuda jacket may be more appropriate for my outfit. I feel like I'm, yeah, it's not I'm a totally vibing out. Not a, bar- yeah. not a Barracuda. Barracuda. Isn't that a song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like from, from the from 70s. Yeah. 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 From yeah, Heart. Yeah, song. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, Anne, shout out this week to Taylor Light. She uh, yes. she did what we asked on LinkedIn. She said, she said, hey, what's up? I listened to the podcast. So so shout out to her. I always love when people do that. You do too. I know you do. So yeah, it's been a good week. What do you got planned for the fourth? Um, we're going up to uh, a friend's cabin this weekend. We're going to go just be out on the lake. You know, we're going nice. to do, do the damn thing, Chris, that you do for 4th of July in the Midwest. And in Minnesota. That's lots yeah. of lake sitting and pontooning. Your favorite thing. Yeah. What are you all guys thi- doing? All things I despise yes. being yes. on water. Uh, I'm going to Portland. Going to the PDX airport here on Saturday. I'm heading to Portland. Just to so, the airport. Yeah. You're going to just hang out in the, the airport. Rose City. Airport? No, I'm staying. I'm staying with. Some, I'm staying near some friends in Beaverton. You know, home of Nike and Adidas. I believe. Um, you do yeah, some so I'm hiking. Pro- I'm pumped. I hope, I hope not, Ann. I hope not. I'm not a big hiking fan. I hope not. I think we'll we'll see some zoos. I think okay. some uh, some uh, taking some. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Have some brunch. I think is what we're thinking about, Ann. But uh, do some Portlandia you know. things. Put a bird. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out where my chickens were raised before I eat right. them. All that kind of good stuff. I Shout out to our wait. friends in Portland too. I cannot wait to hear your recap of this Portland trip. It's going to be amazing. Which we'll have to wait for because we are off next week. Yeah, we're off so we'll next week. Good programming note. Until the following week to hear Chris's rendition of. Portlandia, the Omnitalk Portlandia. Hold me to that, Ann. Hold me to that for sure. All right. Should we get this show started? Let's do it. All right. In today's today's Fast Five, Ann, I almost forgot where we were. We've got (laughs) news on uh, the rumor that Amazon is interested in acquiring Akato. Amazon also closing more of its Amazon Go stores, two Mm -hmm. Amazon stores this Mm -hmm. weekend. DoorDash launching guaranteed hourly rates for its drivers. 
Dollar Tree expanding its assortment to cover multiple pricing levels beyond its current level of $1.25. But we begin today with big legislative news out of Washington, D.C., something I thought I'd never say on this show, Anne. Right? I mean, what, it's no. kind of crazy, isn't it? For sure. Um, no. So headline number one, Chris, is that the new INFORM, that's all caps because it's an acronym for something. Of course it is. The INFORM Consumers Act officially became law this week on Tuesday, June 27th. According to Chain Storage, the new, here we go, Integrity, Notification and Fairness in Online Retail Marketplaces for Consumers Act also known as Inform, is meant to increase transparency of online transactions and to deter criminals from acquiring stolen, counterfeit, and unsafe items and then selling them through online marketplaces. Here are the key components of the law, Chris. As Break it down, Ann. Break it down. Chain store age. I feel like I'm that, like, um, you know, the reporter on uh, NPR that always has to explain, like, what's yes. happening in the legislature. Like, yes. I feel like her right now. I cannot remember her name. Can I'm you sure. do it in the NPR voice? Nina Tonberg. Nina yeah, Tonberg. Yeah. Oh, That's what I feel like drop. today. No idea. All right. So number one, Chris. Online marketplaces must now collect and verify certain financial and identifying information from, quote, high volume third party sellers, end quote, which are defined as a person or business that meets specific sales thresholds on that platform. Number two, the law requires that online marketplaces generally must disclose on those sellers product listing pages or in confirmation messages and account transaction histories, the seller's name, address and contact information. Number three, the online marketplaces must also now suspend high volume third party sellers that don't provide the required information and must offer a clear way for consumers to report suspicious conduct. Chris. I need a what? cigarette ad. I need, need a, cigarette a cigarette after that read. Whew, that was um, good. No, but really, this has been very top of mind, yes. especially this, you know, I think since the beginning of the year, really, but especially within the last few weeks as they try to push this legislation through. What are your thoughts on this move? Is it, is this going to help solve the retail organized crime that we have uh, that all of us retailers are facing? Yeah, right. Um, ah, I mean, I, my hunch is this is my current my take on this is it's a it's a good first start. It's a necessary first step. But my gut reaction really is that it isn't enough. And I say okay. that for two reasons. One. The high volume designation that you talked about as you read that, it comes after the fact, right? And that's a key point. You and I talk about that a lot. That the criminals are smart. We've done a lot of podcasts on fraud prevention and fraud detection. Yeah. And, and they're smart. They're just going to create new accounts over and over again before they even meet these thresholds and before it even raises any red flags. So I don't think it's going to actually do that much. And then second part, Anne, I went to my go-to person who I always talk to about these types of things, my buddy Reed Hayes down at the Loss Prevention Resource Council down in, in uh, Florida. And he brought up another point, which, which I had never thought about before. And he told me, he said something I'll never forget. He said, any good law comes down to two things, one, execution, and two, enforcement. Mm -hmm. This is clearly the execution side of that. It yeah. says nothing about the enforcement. Now, Reed tells me that there's going to be a follow-on law coming soon meant to get at the enforcement side of this effort. So I think that's good. But net, net, I think it's a first step, but nowhere near is it enough, in my opinion. It's an example of, I think, best case, skating to where the puck is and not to where the puck is going. And so hopefully there's more to come. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
I think you needed to have some action though from legislators. Like yeah. this was not something that the, the retailers are able or equipped to handle on their own. And clearly it's getting worse. So I think that we do need to have some actions being taken. I think that doesn't mean though that retailers can also rest on this type of legislation either. Like you said, you know, read is a hundred percent right. It needs to be enforced. It needs to be penalized. And the, even, you know, whatever they decide the enforcement's going to be, the current like $3,000 fine, if you get caught doing this, is not going to be enough to deter the career criminals who this is a career, as Bennett right. from Signify has told us, like, right. this is not just like a fun thing to do for fun on the weekend for these people. This is a, an actual job and they are very good at doing it. Um, I also think that, you know, the hope is here too, that with some of these, we may start to see a, a, a reduction in some of the smash and grab, the more dangerous crimes that are happening in the stores. Hopefully, if if the volume is is one of these things that they're trying to cut down in with these online marketplaces. But I think, you know, the final thing I'll add, third, yeah. this is also going to be something that they're going to have to pay close attention to because you do have third party sellers on these sites who are legitimate. And are you going to prevent them right. from selling on these platforms because of these laws? Like, I think that that's, there's going to be some hurdles to try to get over there, but at least, a, at least one step forward here, we'll see what execution. Yeah. looks Yeah. Like. Some negative externalities for sure. Yeah. You bring up a good point too. I forgot about Bennett at Signified. Yeah. Anybody that can go by one name in the fraud prevention space, you got to take him seriously. Like, yeah, there's probably more to this, but Ann, I got to push back on you a little bit and I want to yeah. give you, give you a chance because Actually, as I was thinking about it, and you read through what that law is about, is there really anything that the retailers couldn't do on their own? Like, if this is a big problem, is, it, is no. there anything that you outlined that they couldn't do on their own? For sure. There's a okay. ton. I mean, right. We've talked Good. about this right. so much. Like, there's yeah. so much that retailers should, can and should be doing in addition to this. I think that is a key thing to emphasize here. It's about investing in technology in store that's going to help prevent this. It's about investing in all of the categories under the umbrella of organized retail crime and, and shrink, you know, like it's not yeah. just about what's happening, these smash and grabs in the stores. It's it's really taking a, a wide look at what are all the things that are contributing to this shrink in your store and to this this crime and theft and how are you as a retailer getting strategic about it? Yeah, I'd actually like to see the online marketplaces go even more aggressive in terms of waiting periods to get the money that they are collecting on their sales. I think that's yeah. a way to cause this, to cause some serious damage in, in this realm. But all right, headline number two, shares of Avocado shot up like a rocket ship after the Times newspaper reported that there was, quote, speculation of bid interest from more than one American shooter, end quote. And according to the report, and as documented by CNBC, Amazon could be one of the potential interested parties. Dun, dun, dun. Both Ocado and Amazon, in no surprise to anyone, declined to comment on the news, however. And what do you think of this story? Do you buy into Amazon buying Ocado? I don't think so. I mean, I think this is... Me neither. I, I have to look at this and really ask the question, like, what does Amazon stand to gain by buying Ocado and vice versa? Like, what does Ocado get from selling to Amazon? Amazon already has a partnership with Morrison's in the UK. They're, Morrison's is the fourth largest grocer there right now. So maybe buying Ocado gets them a little bit more market share. But is that, I mean, we talked, you mentioned Amazon Go, like, is that where Amazon's headed? They're pulling back on stores. Like, I doubt they're looking for like, taking this omni-channel route if they acquired Ocado, like I think they could have already done that with Morrison's. And so 
I just, I'm, I really question here, Chris, and I'm interested to hear what you think too, because like, does Amazon need Ocado's logistics experience, like enough to purchase the company? I, I don't yeah, think so. It's a great point. I don't I, under, I don't know what you they're going to ask learn. why. Yeah. yeah right. Like I don't know what they're going to learn anymore now from what they're mm-hmm. currently learning from their work with Morrison's, you know, doing their, the delivery of groceries through mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm left thinking like, is this a last mile logistics play, a SaaS play? Like will other grocers in the UK or in the U S for that matter, like purchase the technology to use the way that they are for Amazon, just walk out. Like I, I have just so many questions here and I kind of am doubtful that this is even something real, but so you're doubtful it's real. You're doubtful the story's real. The headlines. I don't are, yeah. know. Well, I just no, feel I, like something's weird here. Like something. I, it seems 100%. Off to me. No, the reason I push you on that is I I agree with you. I mean, I think I think as we've talked about on the show, with any story that you read, and take this take this wholeheartedly, listeners. With any story you read, you have to ask one question: Who benefits from the headline you're reading being made public? Right. And the answer to that, the short answer to that is Okado. Okado benefits from this. Look at the stock price increase they right. had because it makes them and it makes them more attractive to others if they are on the acquisition block. So with that said, like I don't think Amazon, if they were actually interested in this, would want this story out because it pushes up the price and makes the deal more competitive for Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then even if Amazon is interested, there's so many complications to this deal. The one that I think about most is Okado's relationship with Kroger in the U.S., So when I start putting that into play, like, I feel like this deal could never happen, even if both sides wanted it to, there'd be just so many entanglements to how it could get done. So, so to me, I think it feels kind of like a non-story to a potential, non-story now to a potential meh, Okado acquisition story down the line that isn't nearly as sexy as what's being reported right now. That's my take. It's, I mean, it's not super informed, but like, I mean, I think it kind of makes sense. It's rational. The the Kroger thing doesn't even come up like in the research we were doing for this story. It's like that's not even mentioned. It's so focused on the UK market, which is fine. It makes sense. But like, why are you going to invest that much in some in a player like Ocado that's already rooted with a retailer in the US? Like, I just I do not understand. And And yeah, I don't know. And your point is like, and, and I thought your point about too, Amazon gets logistics pretty well. Right. Like, you right. know, what are they really buying from Ocado at this point? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's baffles the mind, but so does the next story, which All is right. very germane. Yes. Let's go to headline number three In somewhat related news. Amazon continues to close even more of its Amazon Go stores here in the U.S. So according to Payments Dive, Amazon has closed its Amazon Go store located at Fifth Avenue and Marion Street in Seattle. Uh, the store opened in 2018. It was actually the second Amazon Go store that Amazon ever opened. Uh, Amazon has not opened a new U.S. Go store since March, right before it announced plans to close eight Go stores this year. Chris, what are your lessons and takeaways from this? Um, you know, I mean, it felt kind of, we were hesitant to put another Amazon story in the Fast Five, but I feel like there's there's some reasons that that we went this route. Uh, but explain yours. Yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm really glad we put this story in in retrospect. And I, I got a lot to say on this. And I want to give a shout out to our buddy Dilip Kumar too at Amazon, who, you know, take what I say, Dilip, and you know, I'm I'm trying to be as thoughtful as I can and as constructive in my critique that I'm about to lay on Amazon and the history of Amazon Go here. But but here's my take, Ann. So it, the the big lesson here to me is that just walk out with a pre-entry scan requirement alongside of bad merchandising. 
as you and I saw, especially in the license operation in Philly, which, you know, fair play to Amazon is not run by Amazon, but we saw that a couple of weeks ago in the Philly airport where they didn't have a price tag signs, you know, in the, in the operation. When you combine those two things, it's just a bridge too far for most consumers, I think. And so I say that also because of what I'm hearing on the flip side of this argument. As you mentioned at the outset, we just did a podcast with particularly Annika Vos of Reva, who is probably the foremost expert on Brilliant. computer vision AI in a physical retail store outside of Dillip and outside yeah. the team at Amazon. Yeah. Um, and she's doing it with, with a number of providers, but specifically the one we talked about is with Trigo, right? Trigo is the, the, the non-Amazon just walk out competitor that she's deploying the technology in her stores in Germany. And for all intents and purposes, she's saying she's seen consumers respond to the technology and she's publicly talking about how they're planning to invest in it going forward and roll it out to a further degree. But the reason for that is she went about it differently. Mm-hmm. She took a hybrid approach to start they didn't force customers in mass to change how they shop their stores and they allowed the customers to try it that way, right? It wasn't forced upon them. But the biggest point here, I think in this story, in this headline of looking back at the past, God, five years since Amazon Go first opened in 2018, the biggest point is that Revel already knows how to merchandise a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so my takeaway here is hubris, And Amazon screwed up thinking that it A, knows how to run a grocery or a convenience store, either one of those, that it knew how to do that. And that too, it could deploy a tech that no one had ever used on top of either one of those new experiences. So in retrospect, it was like Amazon was running two experiments at the same time, as opposed to one. And any time from an experimentation standpoint, when you make that happen, or there's that dynamic at play, it's impossible to read the data accurately in terms of analyzing and understanding what happens. And so for that reason, I think the experimentation plan around Amazon Go was quite honestly flawed from the get-go, pun very much intended, Anne. Well, your pun is slightly, um, like the delivery was slightly impacted by your crappy- uh, Was my audio shitty? Damn it, because like I was going on a roll, man. I was on a Uh, roll. I know, but I think the listeners get the gist of the terrible joke, and I actually am happy that they're saved from hearing your, your play on words there. But I do agree, Chris, I think- you know, the number one thing that's different about what Reva had, and I think is like playing out now across all Amazon stores. And we, you know, you and I were, were huge proponents of this. We love the Amazon Go experience. We're retail nerds. Yeah, so we, right. we definitely are going yeah. to shop the store because mm-hmm. of the technology and because of the convenience. And I do think that the next generation will do the same thing, but they're not the ones that are making the impact right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that this technology, unfortunately, while it's cool, there's not the merchandising to back it up. Like there's no reason for me to go to that Amazon store for the product in the store. Like I definitely think there is a need for this kind of store. And that's why Annika and the team at Reva Group is seeing success with it. Like people have built Reva into their day-to-day behaviors for years. They've come to know the products. There are things that are driving them to that store. They have a relationship with their customers. And Amazon didn't have that before going into this. They Amazon built the store 100% based on like, we're going to get you in and out of here fast. It's about the technology. But I think what we're learning is that that's not enough. 
And if you have one thing that's preventing you from getting in store, you have a bad experience. It took you too long to download the app when you're walking in the Amazon store. Like all of those things Mm -hmm. are just preventing consumers from making the trip back. Because once you get through the gates, there's not enough to hold you there to keep you coming back for that experience in the way that the Reva store has, or that, that like a, or an established grocer or convenience store retailer has. So I think that there's potential for this. There's a hundred percent a need for this kind of store, but I think Amazon's still going to have to fight those demons of like, how do you become a, 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 a retailer, a store that people are having to go to in a physical sense, not just because you're the cheapest and have the most online breadth and assortment. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think what it what it that what it, what I think about when you talk about it like that is like it it kind of makes me think the days of physical grocery for Amazon with a new concept are kind of over. Like it's going to be really hard for them to figure this out. Yeah. But on the glass half full side of this, I could still see this working from a licensing perspective. You know, yeah. if people can gravitate towards it more over time. They've already pivoted the way they require pre-entry authorization in their London stores. And so like, you know, how does the, the one I think about most is the Hudson News. That seems like, that seems like the company that's deploying this the best Mm -hmm. right now. So how do they continue to learn from it, pivot it? The merchandising in the new store that just opened this past week looks a lot better, much more color blocked, much more, you know, brand palpable pricing is visible, like all that kind of stuff. So like there could still be a play there, but I really think at this point, it's probably a licensing play. And then you're going to have the question of customer acquisition if you go pre-entry authorization against the cost of the investment to make this happen. And so, I don't know. Those are still some big ifs, I think, for 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 most purveyors of these types of operations. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not the future that we anticipated. Go, <laughs> Chris, but. No, it's, kind of, it's, it's not. Or or the other option is you get you'll go in there and you get some people, which they've done, get some people that really understand how a grocery store works and what good merchandising looks like and how it's done day in and day out and make it happen. Yeah. All right. Headline number four, Ann, according to The Verge, when I, that's my favorite thing to always say, Ann, according to The Verge. Not the of, band, not the no. 90s band. Yeah. Well, that's The Verve, right? Or is there a oh, verb? Yeah, too? it is the verb. It oh, is the verb. Man. I always oh. think about those. I always think. I do too. Them. I was just going to make a verb joke, but yeah. You, but yeah, wow. All right. I just trumped you on music. That never you happened. You did. You did. Uh, according to The Verge, DoorDash has launched new features that provide guaranteed hourly rates to its drivers. Couriers will now see the option to, quote, earn by time, end quote, which offers a guaranteed hourly minimum rate for the time they spend making deliveries. The time clock reportedly starts as soon as a courier accepts an order and ends when it's dropped off, all of which constitutes a big shift for DoorDash, which previously had couriers earning a base pay based on various factors about an order like time, distance, and desirability. And this was one of your headline picks this week. Why? Why in the world did you want to talk about this? Because I think that (laughs) this is going to cause a lot of impact for retailers that I don't think many of them are thinking about right now, especially when it comes to the labor shortage and what's happening um, right now, just to try to get people working in stores um, when you're competing against an already very competitive gig uh, economy. Now, one thing that I I read in researching this, so according to Engadget, um, apparently, yes, apparently by July 12th of this year, in New York City, uh, delivery apps will need to start paying their couriers in the city a minimum of $17.96 per hour plus tips. Mm. 
So that may be a, a part it's of what's driving this. Yeah. this DoorDash to make this move across uh, their platform. But I think what what the impact is here is now what you're guaranteeing or offering. They don't have the DoorDash delivery drivers do not have to go this route. But what you were able to do is guarantee a, a base pay for those those DoorDash drivers, which is competitive with working at, you know, an Albertsons, a Walmart or a Target. Like now you're able to do that. But in a gig, pick when I want to work, how I want to work, where I want to work. Uh, in it, that gig economy. And I think that you're going to start to pull re- pull that talent away from the typical retail jobs Got that it. are already having a hard time getting filled. And I think that secondly, it requires retailers to start thinking about investing in this technology, whether they're going to go the way of like flex work platforms, like we heard from Lidl mm-hmm. this week, whether they're going to go the route that Schnucks took, where they're starting to build their own yeah. tech in-house to try to allow this kind of like flex work that we're seeing, mm-hmm. Or if they're going to go after one of the multitude of tech providers that are out there that are enabling flex work for retailers. So I think it it's going to be an area where retailers are going to have to start to invest in, like what we were talking about early on in the show, where it's about, you know, how are you how are you reducing shrink? In this case, it's how are you thinking about the future workforce that's going to operate your stores? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I hadn't thought about the, the the angle that this will push the retailers themselves to figure out how to make their jobs more flexibly. Uh, available for the workers as well. Like that's that's a great point. I mean, I think for me in a nutshell, I don't have much to add, but I think it's just more evidence that these types of jobs are are highly desirable for people because of the flexibility. And now even more so because of the, st- the increased stability and pay that you're going to get from this move. So, right. you know, like you said, if you can control your shifts versus having to, to work when Target or Walmart or some other mall-based retailer tells you or dictates you to you really when yeah. you need to work, why the hell would you choose that option? I mean, it just that makes no sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be more pressures on it's also going to mean more pressure on wages, I think, until legislation steps in as a counterbalance, you know, to to what's going on here, which, you know, people have talked about a lot. But I don't see that really happening either. And because it's not going to be popular with the voters, the voters aren't going to want legislation. They're going to want the gig economy to continue to be fueled because it gives them the flexibility in their life that they want. So right. I don't see that. So I see that happening. So your point is dead right, which, like I said, I hadn't thought about until you, you just brought it up. Like, yeah, the retailers are just going to have to respond. They're going to have to figure out how to make their jobs more flexible. But then that comes into conflict with much more established rules and regulations about how people need to deploy their workforce in those type of environments. So legislation is going to have to come in here somewhere. It's just a question yeah. of where and how, I would guess. And are they 1099 employees? Are they W-2 when you're guaranteeing wages? Right. Like there's so much that comes into this that, right. yeah, I don't think retailers are even, they haven't even gotten there, Chris. They're yeah, still I mean, trying to trying to figure out what they're going to do about Prime Day coming up, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, this, this is like, this is like, yard yard 50 of the marathon you know right. the 26 miles like this is crazy but um all right let's all right. close out the show at the last one all right headline number five dollar tree told investors it plans to go beyond its dollar 25 price point and begin selling two dollar and five dollar items particularly in food and beverage according to winsight grocery business dollar tree reveals its plans last week at its annual investor conference where it reported that its successful shift from one dollar to 125 uh, a move the company terms BTD or breaking the dollar, Chris. Uh, I love the- that so much, Ed. I know, BT- I know. We need a little BTD. We all need we a little need- BTD in our lives. Yeah, for sure. Um, across, the- so they're moving, they're breaking the dollar across its assortment, 
which they did more than a year ago, and it has paved the way for further price boosts. Dollar Tree CEO Rick Dreeling told investors Wednesday, according to a transcript from the financial services site Sentio, quote, that leap to 125 was painful, but it's done now, Chris, and it's time for us to capitalize on it, end quote. Uh, Chris, this is also the A&M put you on the spot question of the week. A&M wants to know, quote, given Dollar General has already been at multiple price points above $1 for some time and are on their way toward its goal of adding fresh food in 10,000 stores, do you applaud Dollar Tree's efforts to follow suit? Or do you think Dollar Tree is harmfully breaking its unique value proposition to discount shoppers? End quote. Chris, go for it. What do you think? Oh man, I I resoundingly think this is a goddamn no brainer move. Yeah, and I think the the one dollar hook, the dollar hook, was important like a decades ago, right? Be, yeah. When you're standing up this concept as a marketing angle, but history's one dollar is tomorrow's three dollars or five dollars because of category expansion. Right. And they can eat away at whatever Walmart. I mean, if you stop and think about it strategically, they can eat away at whatever Walmart has historically owned. The, the dollar concept as a concept is now well-established everywhere. I mean, how many stores does, does Dollar General have? Like 20,000? Oh my gosh, so, you know, so many. So people are shopping at, the, at them. And so this, I mean, I think the Dollar General analogy just shows that, yeah, there's a there there. This this The, the strategy is going to work, in my opinion. Like, it seems like an absolute no-brainer. And the other point I bring up is you have to love the serendipity that comes from shifting one's context as a leadership team when you have the problem of inflation in front of you and then, you know, turning it into an unbridled opportunity where they're probably just going to reap the profit from this in the long run if they do it the right way and pick the right products and all that kind of stuff, which is not not a given. You have to do that well. Yeah. But it's I mean, when you think about what you're competing against, you're just offering a lower price alternative to what's already exists through other avenues. When has that strategy not worked? Right. It yeah. always works. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that you're you're 100% right. And I think the other thing that I was looking at here is like so many retailers we've seen throughout, like at, since the inflationary period started, have done this, like, we're going to hold our prices for certain items at X, Y, and Z. We're not going to raise prices on these, you know, core 10 things. But I think what's really cool here about what Dollar Tree is doing is that there's no limit to the items. Like what they're saying is that they're they're able to get food from $2 to $5. There's a huge market there. And I think the Dollar Tree customer now knows that no matter what, there's no hesitation. There's no like, this thing's going to be the same price, low price, and this thing's not, or I'm going to pay extra for my soda versus, you know, the cheese being the same price that it was last week. You know, as a Dollar Tree customer, you're going to go in there. You're not paying more than $5 for anything on that shelf. And there's consistency and reliability in making that my destination for groceries. So I think super smart way to go here. I don't think there's any, you know, to A&M's question, I don't think there's any concern here. And what you were saying too, Chris, I don't think there's any concern about going above that $1.25 threshold. Not, it's just, it's not realistic to do that. And the consumer knows that, but they want dependability. They want to know yeah. I'm not paying more than $5 when I'm going in there. Yeah. To get, or whatever to get price point it is. It's, it's, right. but it's all about comparisons, right? They're even doing their own bread. And so as long right. as I can get bread from Dollar Tree cheaper than I can get at other places and it meets this quality hurdle that I need, it's right. going to work. I don't care right. if it's $5, $7, $8, $10. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like, it's that, that's the point here. Yeah. The ice is going to be $2 every time you go in there. You know exactly what it's going to be. It's not fluctuating week to week. I, I love it. I love it. 
All right. Well, let's close this baby out with the lightning round. All right, Chris. Question number one goes to you. Jack in the Box is leveraging artificial intelligence to be able to better understand how customers view their experience. What piece of feedback would you like to give to fast food restaurants? Oh, man. Great question. Jack in the Box. Take me back to my days of growing up in Arizona. I think the one thing that most people don't understand about the the fast food industry is that Jack in the Box and has the best tacos going. Their tacos are amazing. And that that's was, what I, didn't you and Mrs. Amitak go on a first date there to have tacos? Yes, we did. Well, actually, we went on a first date for the Supreme Croissant. And I just found the receipt as I was cleaning out my house of our very first date. Yes. Well, actually, I went for Supreme Croissant in Vegas. She just kind of drove me. Um, <laughs> I love that you can read a lot into that story if you want about when that happened and all that morning. kind of stuff. But yeah, like, right. um, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Amtak, uh, getting a little hungry here. Stomach's gurgling. You mind dropping me off? Like, yeah, my way back to the ho- the Vegas hotel. Yeah, but anyway, like enough, and let's start moving on. I think we gave a little too much detail in that story. Pepsi has collaborated with the Culinary Institute of America to create cola chop. And Pepsi and ketchup. It kind of sounded like you threw up when you said cola chup, which I think is appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. Which is a quote, which was designed, quote, to reinforce just how well hot dogs and Pepsi go together. And what will you be putting atop the old hot dog next week on the 4th of July? Garbage, because I will not be eating the hot dog. They're going into the garbage and then I'll be putting more garbage on top of it. Yeah, I, you, you're like me. You, I hate hot dogs. Like, I can't stand them. It's a very rare occasion that I'm eating a hot dog and certainly not one that me or anyone that I know is preparing. That's no. Not happening. A hundred percent. I could not agree more. Um, Chris, there's a new Plus membership on the block. Wonder Ooh, I can't, Plus. I can't wait, Dan. $7.99 Wonder Plus. Wonder okay. Plus from Wonder, Mark Laurie's company. Uh Oh, really? I didn't even put that. Oh, wow. When you sent that headline, I didn't even put that together. Okay. Yes. Uh, It entitles members to free delivery with no minimum order value for just $7.99 monthly. Wonder Plus also entitles members to prioritize delivery or pick up via a Wonder Fast Pass with each member's order. Chris, which restaurant would you have to have on the Wonder Fast Pass in order to get you to sign up for Wonder Plus? Oh my God. Yeah. That's a big hurdle. And that idea sounds really, really lame too, considering where wonder started back in the day, but I'm going to go back to the first answer. You know, I'm living in Minnesota and I can't get me any Jack in the box. You know, I can't, it's not deliverable. So, you know, Mark Laurie wonder, Hey, and Mark Laurie, you're in Minnesota all the time running the Timberwolves. Get me some Supreme croissants delivered to my house. Some tacos from Jack in the Box. I'm all in, man. I'm all in if you do that. Oh Hopefully oh you're listening. God. I could see him actually doing that. I could see that shit showing up at my door, man. Watch. Watch. That'd be fun if it did. All right. Last question, Anne. As yes. part of a promo for the new Barbie movie, Barbie's Dreamhouse is now available for free on Airbnb. What? what is one other fictional home from your youth? You would love to see on Airbnb. Oh, man. I would want to have probably Cher's house from Clueless. I loved that house so Um, much. It was beautiful. Like the big staircase, her closet with like the little computer picking out her outfits. That's that was the first thing that came to mind. Kind of like that was the first thing. Okay. With the Barbie trend. There's there's more from, you know, years past, but it was hard to narrow one down. I'm going with the Rickers house from Silver Spoons. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. The train. Yeah. I I thought you'd actually pick that one. Yeah. I thought you'd pick that one. Eh, It was fine. It was also a close tie with um, 
Oh, what's the one where he had the the kid had the like secret hidden cl- um, closet? Like the oh my gosh, I can't remember. That's why I, I couldn't pick it. I would definitely go with the Rickers house though if Alfonso came with it. You know, oh, like that. Well, that obviously, be, that, yeah, that would be that would be a no brainer. All right, well that closes us up. Happy birthday today to Gary Busey, Madman creator Matthew Weiner, and to the women who stole every scene she was in with Jason Gedrick in Iron Eagle, the great Melora Hardin. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, Make It OmniTalk, the only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 U.S. retailer. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content that's exclusive to us. And we do it all just for you. And we try really damn hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. So until next time, like Ann said at the outset, we'll be off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks. So until then, on behalf of all of us at OmniTalk Retail, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Firework. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. You can find out more at firework.com. And SPS Commerce. SPS Commerce is redefining how businesses across the supply chain operate in an omnichannel world. Your experts, tech, and data work together to fuel your growth and deliver for your customers. To find out more, head to spscommerce.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four industry payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com.